Welcome to the Key Wealth Matters podcast, a series of candid conversations with leading experts about how individuals and organizations can grow and protect their finances, tailored around current events and trends. Here's your host for today's podcast, Brian Peterangelo. Welcome to Key Wealth Matters weekly podcast, where we casually ramble on about important topics, including the markets, the economy, human ingenuity, and almost anything under the sun, giving you the keys to unlock the mysteries of the markets and investing. Today is Friday, November 11th, 2022. I'm Brian Peterangelo, and welcome to the podcast. And today is a very special day as we celebrate Veterans Day, which honors all of those who have served in the military. And reflecting our gratitude to roughly those 20 million men and women who have served in the military. Veterans Day was first observed on November 11, 1919, known as Armistice Day back then, in honor of the first anniversary of the end of World War I, which officially ended on the 11th hour of the 11th day of the 11th month in 1918. So our sincere thanks goes out to all of our friends, family, co-workers, colleagues, neighbors, and everyone else who has served in the military. If you have an opportunity to thank somebody today, if you see them out in, about in the neighborhood or at work, please do so. Thanks, everybody. And with me today, I'd like to introduce our panel of investing experts here to provide their insights on this week's market activity. George Mateo, Chief Investment Officer, Steve Haight, Head of Equities, and Justin Tantalo, Senior Lead Equity Analyst. As a reminder, a lot of great content is available on key.com slash wealth insights, including updates from our Wealth Institute on many different subjects, and especially our Key Questions article series, addressing a relevant topic for investors each Wednesday. In addition, if you have any questions or need more information, please reach out to your financial advisor. For this week's economic news, the week was very light in terms of data releases, except for the all-important Consumer Price Index inflation report that came out yesterday on Thursday, which indicated significant easing in various components or the overall CPI, starting with 8.2% last month ending September, moving down to 7.7% increase year-over-year in October. That being the case, those numbers are still elevated, which will cause the Fed to determine their policy. But underneath it, in some of the subcomponents, we also saw relief other than the stubborn shelter inflation rate, which continues to be elevated. Other news this week, fairly highlighted, obviously, with the election results on Tuesday and into Wednesday in terms of the results, and also some interesting factors going on in the cryptocurrency markets. So with that, George, why don't we start with the election results with you? What are your thoughts on the week, and where do you think we're headed? Well, good morning, Brian, and thanks for the intro. And yeah, happy Veterans Day, and thanks to all those who serve on behalf of our country. I think it's really worthy of uh, acknowledging those people and their families on this day, for sure. But uh, to talk about the elections for a second, I think we'll probably have to acknowledge that it's a little after 10 a.m. on Friday, and these things are still changing by the minute, it seems. But right now, um, the Senate is um, 48 Democrats, 49 Republicans, and three seats are open. You know, if you look at kind of those three remaining seats in the Senate, um, there's about 400,000 votes to count yet in Arizona. Uh, right now, the Democrats have a pretty decent lead, so it looks like that state is going to go to the Democrats. Nevada is, um, you know, there's a few fewer votes to count, uh, but the Republicans have a slight majority there. So maybe we just for sake of argument, we can say that the Republicans take that state. So all eyes on Georgia. You know, Georgia's on our mind, as the song says, and I think it's going to come down to that in terms of the control for the Senate where it, uh, of course, will go to a runoff um, sometime early in December. So I think, you know, it's one of these times again where, you know, 
if we kind of assume that everything kind of plays out as I just uh, uh, just described, the Senate will probably say 50-50. Democrats have a slight majority with the um, the vice president being the tiebreaker on certain legislation. The House seems like it's poised to flip to the Republicans, but have a very thin majority. You know, I went back and looked, Brian, and I saw that on average, um, you know, typically the Republican, the, I'm sorry, the power, um, the party in power at the time of the election uses loses about 23 seats. If things kind of play out here, it seems like the um, the Democrats will lose about 10 to 11 seats. So it's probably fair to say that the uh, the Democrats probably exceed the expectations uh, this time around. And I think what we're going to see is probably a, a pretty contentious um, uh, set of months going forward, unfortunately, in the sense that, you know, the lame deck session that we're all going to be going through in, in December will probably be truncated uh, because the election is still undecided. The outcome of the Senate is still undecided. And so you might not see uh, much in the way of big legislation. Of course, we'll probably get a few things done, but not, not really anything significant. And then next year, I'm afraid that DC will probably be a source of volatility, probably create a lot of noise. Um, and I think there's gonna be another debt ceiling debate we're gonna to have to talk through as well. But overall, I guess the, the market narrative that midterms would be viewed as market friendly, I think is still intact. In other words, gridlock is, is still good, unfortunately. So I think it's probably too early to, to declare victory in terms of really who has um, power in Washington. But I think at the same time to pivot a little bit, I think it's also a bit too early to really declare victory with respect to inflation. Uh, we got a nice, uh, I guess, a really nice balance yesterday in the market reaction to a softer than expected um, rise in inflation, but it was still pretty elevated. You know, inflation is still north of 7%. Uh, it's about 6.3% on the, um, the core adjusted basis, which takes out food and energy. But if you look at some of the components, yeah, we did see some nice deceleration uh, within many of the components inside the overall CPI basket. Housing, though, is still pretty strong, reached uh, an all-time new high yesterday. We have to kind of calibrate in the sense that housing only has a about a 40-year history. It doesn't go back as far as some of the other data. So it goes back to the 80s. It does include the 70s, but still, you know, housing was up at a record pace. Uh, food did come down a little bit, but it's still rising at 11% year over year. And we also saw some improvement on the energy line too. But again, we're still looking at, at double-digit increases with respect to energy prices. And then lastly, the services that make up the overall components of inflation were also quite strong. So goods inflation is coming down pretty, pretty, uh, pretty rapidly, but services inflation is, uh, is actually on the rise still. And I still think we're starting to see wage inflation in other parts of the economy too. So Steve, it was kind of curious to me to kind of take this into context, knowing that this was an improvement in terms of the overall level of inflation, um, maybe the rate of change, I should say, but the level is pretty elevated. So what did you make of the market reaction yesterday, uh, given that inflation report that came out? Well, the, the, the market really started to mark down what, what is called the terminal rate. So, you know, I think that's what really started to ignite things. I mean, it looks like we've passed peak inflation, which theoretically means we've passed peak hawkishness from the Federal Reserve, right? So the we saw the terminal rate is measured by or estimated by the two-year yield drop by about uh, 30 basis points yesterday. And so it was significant. And, you know, if we take in aggregate a whole host of financial indicators, uh, we saw yesterday was the was the third largest easing of U.S. financial conditions in a one-day period on record. So and the only other two days where there was a larger easing was March 24th, 2020, and we all know what was going on then. Um, and the other was October 13th in 2008. 
So again, another very tumultuous period for markets. So um, clearly, I think that what we got a, a bit of, we don't necessarily have fear of missing out yet, but we have uh, fear of fear of material underperforming going on because I think that uh, we could definitely get into a bit of a beta chase as we head into year end. It is a very seasonally strong period. Um, and liquidity has been really poor across equity markets. Um, so when you get into a situation where you've got kind of a, a, a surprise uh, in terms of the economic numbers, um, and then we saw uh, low liquidity conditions combine with that to just light the market off like a rocket yesterday. So how sustainable it is, is, is yet to be determined. Um, I, I think that clearly we're seeing a, a very, very modest amount of follow through this morning. You know, the S&P is only up a quarter of a percent here on a Friday. Um, and, you know, we'll, we'll just have to see how it plays out as we move into to, to the year-end period. You know, the one thing that concerns me, George, about the lower CPI number is that we may just be trading one headache for another. So it might be too early to call the end of the bear market. And when I say that, if you look at this year's market performance, it's really been dominated not by what's been happening with the earnings line. Uh, but it's been dominated by what's happening to the multiple that people are willing to pay for those earnings. And we've seen the multiple compress significantly. Um, as we think about what happens next year, let's pause it for a minute what a declining inflation rate means. And let's say inflation declines from 9% to 5%. Well, what drives revenue and EPS for the S&P 500 companies and the economy in general? It's nominal GDP growth. Well, a decline in inflation means nominal GDP is going to go from 9% to 5% next year. And if we see a nominal GDP decline by that significant amount of an amount, I think it's going to really impact the earnings numbers that the, that the companies are going to be able to put up in that type of an environment. So next year, we could be trading this multiple compression problem that we've seen this year for an earnings problem for the S&P 500. So, you know, I think... Um, in a market environment like that, we really start to look at, you know, maybe maybe we're going to be in a bit of a broad trading range for a while. We don't just have we don't have to go down anymore, but we don't necessarily just have to go up either. And we can go back and forth for a while and mark time. And it seems to me that's really kind of where 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 we're heading as we think about maybe trading one problem for another. You know, speaking of problems, Steve, you mentioned something about the fact that financial conditions eased the most yesterday. Um, than any point since March of 2020, the, the, Fed, the Fed doesn't want that, right? I mean, the Fed doesn't want to see conditions get that easy where people are exuberant and, and spending a lot of money and then creating more inflation, right? So Correct. how do you think the Fed is trying to kind of square that circle? Well, I think that's exact. you're exactly right. And what you're going to get here in the next few days or maybe even a couple of weeks is you're going to get the Fed coming out and talking the other side of the trade again, trying to get people's uh, get, get those financial conditions tighter. They do not want loose financial conditions. And clearly that's exactly what we saw yesterday. Um, and, and this has played out earlier this year, not necessarily to the same magnitude that we saw yesterday, George, in terms of that easing. But there, back in August, we had a couple of days where there was a significant uh, easing of financial conditions over a two-day period. It, it, was, it was, again, another statistically significant move. Um, and within two or three days, the Fed was out 
talking the opposite side. So, you know, I, we, we've had multiple cycles of this where we've gotten these easings of conditions and then the, the and then the Fed heads come out and, 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 and jawbone the market the other direction. So, you know, I, I wouldn't doubt that we'll see, we'll see some, some uh, commentary uh, in the next few days that, that tamps down uh, the, the bullish enthusiasm. So speaking of enthusiasm, earlier this year and in the last year, we saw a lot of enthusiasm around cryptocurrencies. And um, that's one thing that got a lot of investors' attention uh, in maybe a, in a buoyant way. Uh, last uh, couple of days, however, it's been the exact opposite of that, I guess, to say it mildly. So our colleague Justin Tintalo can join us now, perhaps, and give a, thought, a few thoughts on what's happening in crypto. There's been a ton of um, headlines and chatter around the overall crypto space with one very high-profile company experiencing a lot of distress. So, Justin, if you don't mind, maybe catch up to speed. You know what's going on with crypto these days? Yes, thanks, George. Let me set the backdrop very quickly. Uh, what we saw this week was a impressive collapse of FTX, which is a cryptocurrency exchange and futures market. Uh, by most accounts, it's probably a top three exchange by size and reputation. Uh, Binance and Coinbase would be the other two that round out that. Uh, if you think about, uh, you know, the, the story behind this exchange, it was founded by Sam Bankman-Fried, who goes by the nickname SBF. And until this week, he was one of the most influential figures in crypto. Now, he also led a firm, uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, parallel to this called Alameda Research, which was essentially a prop trading firm focused on crypto and crypto arbitrage opportunities. And so, you know, that, that's the backdrop. You've got this exchange and futures market led by a guy who also uh, ran indirectly a prop trading firm. And so this week, speculation boiled over that the exchange, FTX, lent a large amount of client deposits to Alameda, the prop shop. Uh, and when some of the competitors in the crypto space got wind of this relationship, uh, they essentially created a panic on social media that created a, an old-fashioned run on the bank, basically. Uh, and so FTX was flooded with client withdrawal requests, but because the liquidity was tied up with Alameda Research, they couldn't honor those requests and the withdrawals uh, were frozen. And that's where we stand now. Client deposits at, at FTX are stuck and uh, SBF is... Uh, scrambling to find liquidity to release these deposits and right the ship. But the, the, the market is, um, is, is looking through this. It sees that the probability of, of normalization for, for this exchange is basically zero. Uh, and we're almost certain to see some spillover uh, onto Wall Street because one of the things about FTX is that this was one of the more institutional exchanges, mostly because it had a liquid futures market built in. So what that means is traditional hedge funds who, are, who might have started to trade crypto might have custodied their assets with FTX. So unlike other exchanges that we've seen go under, FTX may have a little bit more contagion with the types of Wall Street funds that impact um, investors who, um, who who haven't really sort of gone headfirst into 
uh, into crypto itself. So we've already seen a, you know, a number of write downs, you know, surprisingly fast from some top tier venture firms who essentially wrote down their investments in FTX down to zero. Uh, so that's the, you know, the story still playing out. This is still very much a foggy situation, but it uh, unfortunately sounds and rhymes a lot like some of the other centralized exchanges that, uh, that have gone under. So really quickly, Justin, you mentioned broader contagion to Wall Street. What do you think the, the bigger picture is, uh, the bigger takeaway, I should say, is for investors? Uh, yeah, that's a great question. I mean, I think the, the takeaway is it's a bit sobering that, uh, you know, these kind of collapses can happen. I mean, if you look at uh, the value of some of these tokens, so Sam Bankman-Fried, you know, had a, a net worth as defined by the value of his tokens of something like $16 billion a week ago. Uh, and that's basically collapsed to zero. So this has been one of the most impressive collapses of net worth that we've seen in history. Um, and you know, how does that permeate to other investors that have got exposure to FTX? Still a little bit too early to really suss out. But again, the fact that FTX had that liquid futures market built in and attracted a lot of institutional investors to trade on their platform uh, leads me to believe that we'll, we'll find a few uh, you know, um, unfortunate exposures uh, in the weeks to come. Well, I think, again, uh, I appreciate the comments. I think it's another reminder also that uh, usually when you start to see financial conditions tighten as the Fed's done for much of this year, something breaks, right? That we've talked about that before. And now maybe this might be the, the epicenter of where things are breaking. But, you know, importantly, most of our clients, pretty much all of our clients have really no exposure uh, towards cryptocurrencies in a direct way. And, uh, and that's probably a good thing in this environment. But uh, I think more importantly, we've continued to advocate for a real diversified portfolio in this environment. And, uh, you know, with that in mind, we'll probably continue to think about diversification into the year ahead, given some of the cross currents that we mentioned earlier. Well, thank you for the insightful conversation today. George, Steve, and Justin, we appreciate your thoughts. Thanks to our listeners for joining us today, and be sure to subscribe to the Key Wealth Matters podcast through your favorite podcast app. And as always, past performance is no guarantee of future results, and we know your financial situation is personal to you. So reach out to your relationship manager, portfolio strategist, or financial advisor for more information, and we'll catch up with you next week to see how the world and the markets have changed and provide those keys to help you achieve your financial success. The Key Wealth Matters podcast is produced by the Key Wealth Institute. The Key Wealth Institute is comprised of a collection of financial professionals representing key entities, including key private bank, key bank institutional advisors, key private client, and key investment services. Any opinions, projections, or recommendations contained herein are subject to change without notice and are not intended as individual investment advice. This material is presented for informational purposes only and should not be construed as individual tax or financial advice. Bank and trust products are provided by Key Bank National Association, member FDIC, and equal housing lender. Key private bank and key bank institutional advisors are part of Key Bank. Investment products, brokerage, and investment advisory services are offered through Key Investment Services, LLC, or KISS, member of FINRA, SIPC, and SEC Registered Investment Advisor. Insurance products are offered through Key Corp, Insurance Agency USA, Incorporated, or KIA. KISS and KIA are affiliated with Key Bank. Investment and insurance products are not FDIC insured, not bank guaranteed, may lose value, not a deposit, not insured by any federal or state government agency. 
KeyBank and its affiliates do not provide tax or legal advice. Individuals should consult their personal tax advisor before making any tax-related investment decisions. This content is copyrighted by KeyCorp 2022.